Well, we're, uh, we're going to start something new today, starting a new series. Um, and as we get ready for that, I just want to uh, tell you if there's a, if you've got, uh, you came in, hopefully you got your handout so you can follow along, uh, notes sort of stuff. We'll put some notes up on the screen. If you're not so much a, a paper kind of person, you can also follow along uh, through the free app called Uversion. There is a button on the bottom corner. You can log on to our, our webs, our, our, what do they call that? Internet? Uh, through here so you can follow along that way as well. And in this uh, bottom right corner, you tap more, look for events, and search into one. And you'll find the, uh, all of our church announcements are there. The sermon notes are there. There's a link for online giving there if you would like to do that. I know that many of you have already given online before you came here this morning, so thank you very much again for that. That's uh, always nice to be able to see that there's different ways we can participate. But if you have your handout, there's a side that you can rip off there and you can fill that information out for us. If you're visiting with us, let us know that you are here. Give us a chance to respond and to say, hey, thanks for coming and to, to recognize you in that way. And if you're someone who's more regularly a part of the church and you, you have a question or a comment or something you'd like to follow up on, flip that paper over. There's a communication side. Put your notes on there. And then you can just take, a, at the end of the service, take that paper, put it in the white box at the back, our communication box. Right beside it, there's also some offering envelopes there. If you want to make, if you'd like to give that way, make sure your tax receipted, use the envelope there. So that's all the stuff that kind of gets you set up and following along there. So um, yeah, let me, just, let me just pause again. Lord Jesus, <clears throat> uh, God, I ask that you would, you would speak to me this morning, that you might speak through me. I pray that for my friends that are here as well today, that you would speak to them, that you might also be able to speak through them in the days ahead. Uh, we want to hear from you. We want you to inform our lives. This is not a the theoretical um, study that we are involved in. We want to have application. We want our lives to be made new. We want to grow in our faith by the exercise of our faith. And so we're looking to you in that place. Guide us today in Jesus' name. Amen. A uh, new series. It's called LSD. Love, Sex, Dating, Don't Lose Your Mind. That's the thing. It's, it's marriages, it's, it's relationships, it's love, it's sex, it's dating. It's, it's all those things put into one. Um, this is an intro, so this is, uh, this is not the whole thing, and so I'd certainly encourage you to, to have in your mind that the, the point that these messages are going to tie together. So, Please come back. Please invite someone to come back for this. Because in my time here in Stouffville, the, the people that I've met, I have a very strong feeling that God has been impressing upon me this um, relationships are an incredibly big deal and that we have a lot of what we've all come to identify as normal life, regular life that doesn't function as well as it might. And I want to I challenge you and I want to help you to, to see some things in a new way. So when I say that it's about love, sex, and dating, I want... I, you probably think to yourself that this is um, for single people, and it is. But it has very much to do with married people as well. It has uh, a focus on people who are dating. It has a focus for people who, who wish they were dating, um, people who dated too much. It's for anyone who's in any relationship. If, if, if you know someone who's in any relationship, if you have ever heard the term relationship, this is for you. There's so much information here that I think can set us free. And so here's why. The, the, the real goal is I want you to have great relationships. I really do. And we spent a couple weeks in September talking about um, how key 
relationships are to living well and how pulling people around you on the outside and, and supporting each other through a group like a small group um, gives you stuff that you need to enjoy the full quality of life that you have been offered. And so if we can, if we can stop for a moment and, and help people to see that, that God speaks into our whole life uh, in, in a way that culture speaks extra loud and the church has been you know, extra quiet um, for the most part. We want, we want to do that to be able to say we want you to have great relationships. And if we can help somebody avoid some of the problems that, uh, that are so rampant, then that would be absolutely fantastic. Um, doing what I do, uh, being who I am, I've, I've been sort of at different times like a walking confessional. People come up and they tell me stuff. They confess stuff. They want to get stuff off their chest and they feel like it, it, it helps to do that. And since I've been doing this now for more than 20 years, you, you realize that there's a startling amount of story overlap. I'm pretty sure that, I, that I've heard almost everything that can be heard. There's, there's nothing that shocks me anymore when people come up and say, I got to tell you something. I, I, don't have, I don't have a spirit of judgment. I, I, I started with that, and, and I, God freed me from that as well. I understand that our stories are of progression, and we have places that we're progressing from. Um, so I, I've, I've heard these stories. I'm not shocked by them anymore. I've looked into the eyes of all kinds of different people, and I've heard their stories. And there are certain stories that just keep coming up, certain story elements that come up. And it makes me ask, how many terrible relationships are there out there? And so much of the time, I, I, I have myself in my head, I hear myself saying, didn't you know? D did no one ever tell you? D did you not see that coming? Was there, was there no sort of approach for you? Were you never warned about that? Did, did someone never sit you down and have some of this conversation? And so in the last number of years, um, I can't tell you exactly how many, but I've done, I've done so many hours of premarital counseling that I've lost track. I, I, I really don't know what it is how much it is anymore. And I think it's honestly great. My commitment to premarital counseling is, is to build the relationship that's going to exist so that when you get married, we have the opportunity to have counseling or conversation that continues. To do that is a significant investment of my time to do it, but I'm invested in the marriage, not nearly so much in your wedding. That is, that's really the way it goes. That's what, that's what I would like to commit to more and more to say, this is what I believe is important. This is what I want, I want to invest in. But the problem with premarital counseling is that it's typically by the time you, you start it, most people's brains are not attached to their ears anymore and that they have no capacity to hear. So I wanted, I wanted to take some of that content and I wanted to put it into a message format that we can, um, we can record it and we can, we can offer this back for people who have any degree of interest in relationship going forward so that maybe you'll be able to hear Things, and maybe you'll be able to make changes before you're sort of caught up in the flow. The first part of this, we're going to work a little bit with your timeline. Right now is your present tense. And it's in this stage of life that you will certainly move to being your past tense. And what you're going to find, what married people will be able to tell you, is that the present that they were living in became their past, and what they found that is that in their marriage, it became part of their future. What you are doing now will pass 
but it will show up in your future. Married people, most married people didn't know this. And here's what they thought. They thought that once they got married, this is it. This is a new beginning. It's a brand new day. The past is the past. This is something brand new. They thought I could just leave it all behind. That was then. This is now. So here's the quick summary that I want you to be able to remember. The present will be your past, which will be present in your future. What you are doing now will follow you around. And that applies whether you're married or not. What you are doing now applies going forward. Your relational past has an incredibly pesky way of showing up and always showing up in the most inopportune time. There are all kinds of people out there who nobody told them about this. And it seems somewhat obvious, but if you say it out loud, it helps you to get that kind of a thought in there. So they weren't ready for what happened. And now you know. Now you can tell someone else to just to remind them what you do now is going to impact you later on. Here's something else that I've learned over my life. This is from lots of different people, from lots of different relationships in different cities and different churches, in church and out of church. The discovery that I've made is that I, I don't think there really are very many marriage problems. I think that most of it's misdiagnosed and mislabeled. What happens is that people have personal problems, and then they get married, and then they have a troubled marriage. If you dig down on most of that stuff that's there, the marriage is not somehow the problem. The problem was you have two single people problems, and then you brought them together into your marriage, and they learned that their single people problems went with them. They traveled there. They were not erased at all by the wedding ceremony, no matter how powerful that wedding ceremony was, no matter how nice that meal was that you made sure that everyone got, no matter how great your DJ was and you focused on that to make sure it was going to be the great event, no matter how creative and innovative your, innovative your invitations were, no matter how witty you decided to make your vows, the single people problems came right with them all the way to the altar and then beyond. Their individual past which used to be their present, showed up in their together future. And here's the truth. It's the reality. It's for everyone. What you are doing now matters. It matters regardless of your age, or whether you're young or old. It matters regardless of what your, um, your dating status is, your marriage status. It matters how you live. Here's a little bit more truth. Now when you fall in love, We've all come to this sort of understanding. Your brain stops working properly. It's not a criticism. It kind of sounds like a joke, but it's just the truth. Your brain doesn't work properly. Things that you would not believe anywhere else in life, you will believe and you will argue about because you have fallen deep into smit. You're smitten. And as you're smitten, your brain doesn't function properly. There's one huge myth that I wanted to focus on today. One big underlying story that so many of us believe. We're dialed into it and we hold on to it passionately. And we do that without really considering it at all. This is called the right person myth. It goes something like this. If I marry the right person, everything will be all right. Okay? Say that with me, because you've got to be able to hear this. If I marry the right person, everything will be all right. We don't know that we're doing it. 
But here's what happens. Well, you're looking for the right person, thinking that when I meet the right person, everything will be all right. They meet the right person. And that right person just happens to be thinking the exact same thing. When I meet the right person, everything will be all right. So when these two people who are looking for the right person meet each other, they say, oh, wow, I met the right person. Now everything is going to be all right. That's the top layer. Let me take you behind the scenes and show you a little bit of what's going on behind the curtain. And I've gotten asked this question. I did youth ministry for like 15 years. It's one of the most popular questions that comes up. You've probably heard it. You've probably been asked it, and you've probably asked it yourself. How do you know when you've found the right person? And the answer that most people will come up with is chemistry. Wow. I, I just can't concentrate on anything else. Oh, we were together. We talked for hours. I didn't even notice the time go by. I just can't stop thinking about her. I got in trouble at work because I kept doodling my new signature. My eyes get a little dreamy and I frequently stare off into the middle distance. It's just there. It was all around me. It was chemistry and it was beautiful and it was wonderful. And so they come together and they have this way of thinking. This is the way our culture works in general. They say, we have it. We have this chemistry. And this view is so common now. They say, somehow tying this together. We're in love. We have chemistry. But you know what? You should never buy a car without driving it first. And that's what we say. And you know what else? You should never buy a pair of shoes without wearing them first. And who doesn't want to be compared to a pair of shoes that's so romantic? Um, so they get this whole physical intimacy thing going, and it, and, it, and it grows, and there's lots of contact, there's lots of touch, and, there, and, and the sex just seems to appear out of nowhere. It's just sort of happening. And oh man, this is the greatest thing in the world. We're so connected, we're so in love, we're so convinced that I've met the right person. And because I've met the right person, everything's going to be all right. And the other person is thinking the exact same thing. And when they get together, they start to believe stuff like, no one has ever loved like we do now. My mom, she never loved like this. My grandfather, no idea of what it's like to love. Nobody on TV, nobody from books, nobody in history, not my friends, no one. No one has ever loved like we love. When I look into their eyes, it's, it's, it's a whole new world. The food tastes better. The jokes are all funnier. You're my soulmate. You complete me. You had me at hello. And we love these stories and they make us feel great. And they believe that they have this unique, unprecedented event. It's one of a kind. Nobody can match this kind of love. They're convinced and so they get together and they get married. The problem is that what they had was chemistry. They didn't know very much about relationships because they thought, if I meet the right person, everything's going to be all right. I don't have to be good at relationship. They are going to be good at relationship. That's how they're the right person. And we assume that. I won't have to be patient because she will never do anything that will make me have to be patient, right? 
And so they get together and they get married and they have problems. And get what kind, guess what kind of problems they have? They're not chemistry problems. They have relationship problems because they are in a relationship. But they didn't do anything to prepare for the relationship. Why would you need to? Love. Love will keep us alive. All you need is love. Talk about things prior to marriage? Yeah, we got it. Why would I need to do that? We've got all that we need. I know what you're saying, but I already, I already know this. Talk about things fully at premarital counseling? Sure, we already know all that. Tell the truth to the counselor? Sure, as far as you know. <laughs> Tell the truth to each other? I'm sure it won't be an issue. There's no reason to bring this up. So now they're in a relationship, and that stuff starts to come up. And they get into some tension, or they get into some conflict, and guess what starts to suffer now? The chemistry. It used to be so passionate. It used to be so sexual and so fun and so important. And suddenly, that stuff starts to suffer. And the relationship begins to wither. And the poor guy is really confused because I don't know what to do, but more sex should fix that, right? And so the poor guy thinks that it's what brings us together, and it's a wrench. Sex is a wrench, and we fix things with wrenches. So we're going to have more sex, that'll fix it. And, and the poor girl looks up, and she says, that's not how it works. And now there's all sorts of tension going both directions, right? Now this thing that was so great, it was so wonderful, we had this one-of-a-kind love, and all their amazing chemistry starts to die because they're no good at relationship. They got sucked into the myth. If I marry the right person, everything is going to be all right. So then someone in the relationship, frequently the woman, but not always the woman by any means, frequently the woman, she comes up with this bright idea. We are finding that we have distance. You know what's going to bring us closer together? Why don't we have a, a baby, right? Let's bring in another life. Let's bring in another set of things that we don't know how to do. Let's add fatigue. Let's throw in some bizarre schedules into our already dysfunctional relationship. And the guy thinks, hey, that's going to require sex. Seems like a good idea. We should do that. And so now we're depending on this baby to fix the relationship. And as unique as you think you are, this story is so incredibly common. As special as you think your relationship is and as wonderful it's just not that individual. There are all kinds of well-worn, predictable paths. And we want to keep some of you from believing these myths so that we can go forward and we can experience something else. Here's the next list. Here's the next thing. Don't send me messages, man. I get distracted. There are two or three times in a married man's life when he is most susceptible to an affair. Guess what one of the top two are? When his wife is pregnant. And we think to ourselves, scum. How could you possibly go out and have an affair when your wife is pregnant and she's pregnant because you're trying to fix the relationship because you're already feeling separation? And sadly, it happens all the time. And men say stuff like, I've got needs. Have you ever heard someone say that? I'm not a medical doctor, but I'm going to tell you something. Sex is not a need. 
Water. You need water. Food. You're going to need some food sometime. And if you live in a climate like ours, you're going to need some shelter. You check the research yourself on this. You can find this out. But a man or a woman can go their entire life without sex, and it won't even make them sick. <laughs> Some guys get caught in this, and they make terrible, terrible decisions. So let me walk you through what happens here and show you how this myth shows up in here and show you the incredible devotion that we, we play to this myth. A new baby is around. There's new stresses around. There's new costs around. And there's new opportunities to be selfish. Those just abound. Man goes off to work. And he's working away. And then he looks up one day. And you know what he sees when he looks up? The right person. And he realizes, now I know what's wrong with my marriage. I married the wrong person but it's okay because i just met the right person and off they go do you know why second marriages has a have a higher failure rate than first marriages because married people can kind of be stupid they do the very same things again expecting different results why because the first time wasn't my fault Last time, it's not because I'm not good at relationships. Last time, the problem was because it was the wrong person. But now, it's okay because I found the right person. So everything is going to be all right. And they are sold out, 100% committed to the right person myth. And for some bizarre reason, this is so believable and compelling when you're in the middle. And today you can sit back and say, well, it sounds kind of silly. Then look around at the people that you know. Maybe look at your own life. There is so much pain. There is so much expense. There is so much heartbreak. There are so many eyes that I've looked into where it feels like the life has been drawn out. And I just want you to know it doesn't have to be that way that doesn't have to be your future there's something different and there's something better and our culture our culture doesn't celebrate it our culture doesn't give it any airtime. it doesn't advertise you and i'm going to tell you why it's not because our culture is against happy marriage it's not because our culture is against healthy relationship the problem is those things are they're boring who wants to watch a reality television show about a great marriage? Nobody is writing a movie script about happily married people. Great marriages and great relationships get no airtime because they're not entertaining. The chemistry that's involved is not explosive. It's not, it's not volatile. But it can be a slow, steady, consistent burn. So our entertainment-driven culture highlights all the trouble and all the drama and all the affairs. Did you hear that Brangelina broke up? Like, oh my goodness, what's going on? The world's coming apart. And we know this. The information's there because that's important. And if you date or you live with this mindset that the right person will make the right things happen, if the right person comes around, then everything will be all right, 
If you pursue that, then you've bought into the fairy tale. You've bought into the lie that we are told over and over and over again, and it just doesn't work that way. There is a better way. And here's the big idea for the whole series that we're going to do. Here's a spoiler alert. We're going to come back to this from all kinds of different vantage points, okay? From different directions. But here's the thing. I'm going to tell you the whole thing in advance. Looking at the contrast between finding the right person versus becoming the right person. And this is awkward because we don't tend to think about it this way at all. This is what most people are never told. This is why so many people date the way that they do. This is why so many people have the marriage that they have. This is the question that arises so frequently. What happened to the passion? What happened to the energy? What happened to the chemistry? If you implement this into your dating, into the anticipation of your dating, if you do this with your spouse, this will change your life. Maybe this story will help you get it. There was a young lady who grew up in a religious home, so she had the whole package. It was all part of the, the list of uh, content in her head, Sunday school, church, she'd been the whole thing. Um, she went off to university, and she decided that while she was there, she's going to immerse herself in university singles dating culture. And she said, it's not that I quit believing what I used to believe, it's just that, well, I took all of that stuff and, and, and I put it in a package and I, I, just, I just moved it to the back burner for now because it didn't look like it was going to be immediately compatible with what I was doing. There was no religious epiphany. There was no sense that she suddenly understood that Jesus is not the Son of God, that God doesn't exist. There was, there was nothing like that. There was no rejection there was simply a reallocation of focus. I'll take these beliefs and what these beliefs do to shape the way that I live, and I'm going to put them on the back burner. They're not for now. And she began to date the way that she wanted to, and she did the things that other people did. She did things that she looked back on later, and she said, I really wish that I had never done that. And then one night, she goes to a big gathering, and it, it might have been a hootenanny. It might very well have been a shindig. But what was happening is that there was a whole lot of people. So a group of her friends was there, but there was a whole lot more people. And they were mixed up, and they were getting together, and they were having a great time. Lots of people that she didn't know, and she was meeting people, and she met this guy. She describes him as the total package. He's, he's got a great job already. He's intelligent. He's got great looks. He's funny. He's kind. He's got a great personality. And the looks came before the personality, so it was okay. Um, she was well-respected by those people who were around him. He carried himself well. He treats other people well. And so as they're talking, it goes on and on. It becomes very apparent that he's a Christian. And he's a Christian who is taking his faith seriously. It's not a label. It's a lifestyle. He's living it out. And he's trying to live it out at work. And he's trying to live it out in his dating life. He's trying to put all these pieces together and she talks to him and it brought back memories of when she was growing up. All this stuff on the back burner. She started to remember it. She started to think about it. And she goes, hey, I remember some of that stuff and that was good stuff. I kind of have positive memories that come up. And she was going, wow, that's great. She leaves the party and she's just going to herself, wow, there was this guy. What a great guy. 
And so that weekend, she decides to go home, and she visits the family, and she's talking to her mom about school and this guy, and she's going on about this guy, and he's so kind, and he's good-looking, he's intelligent, and he's got strong values. It really seems like he's a Christian, and she keeps going on and on about this guy. And then her mother turned to her and said, sweetheart, I love you so much. The problem is that a guy like that is not looking for a girl like you. And she said she collapsed on the floor in a pool of puddles. And she was crying and crying and crying because she knew that her mom was exactly right. And she looks back now at that as a defining moment for her as a single person. In that moment, she decided that things have to change. The guy that I'm looking for is not looking for me. In that moment, she decided that my, my priorities need to change, my values need to change, my friendships need to change. And here's the big question that she came to, but it's a great one to have in your head to think about it. You might have to think about it a couple of times before you hear it the right way. Are you the person you're looking for is looking for? You might very well have a criteria list, a checklist of what you're looking for in a person. The first question is, do you even meet your own criteria? Now, think about them. Do you meet the criteria not of anyone, but of the person that you're really looking for. So in your planning and going ahead, whether you're single or whether you're married, because it still applies to the way you live when you're married, are you becoming the person that the person you are looking for is looking for? Are you being intentional? Are you preparing you? Are you doing some of the hard work and looking at yourself honestly? Or are you believing in the magic of fate, to swirl around and plop you right in the lap of the right person. No longer hunting, no longer hoping for the right person to make the right things happen. Instead, I will intentionally become the person that the person I am looking for is looking for. Now, you might not believe this either, um, but I'm going to tell you it anyways. When you open the pages of Scripture, there is very little help guiding you to find or locate the right person. That's why the question comes up so much. How do I know it's the right person? There's not a letter that Paul wrote describing how you will know the right person for you. There's no biblical hunting guide for the right spouse. But if you open the Scripture and you ask the question, God, how do I become the right person? Well, then the pages of Scripture come to life. There should, this shouldn't come to you as any surprise because God created relationship and God created you for relationship. But, but it doesn't just happen accidentally. It's not, it's not about making yourself available to the right number of people. It's about intentionally becoming the person that you're looking for is looking for. And week after week, we talk about this kind of stuff. And I, and I want you to know that um, what you should focus on, what you can put your energy into, what to get better at, 
And what I'm going to tell you doesn't stop at I do. It just keeps on going and going. So here it is. It's one of the most famous chapters in the Bible. So no one's been hiding this information from you. It's always been there. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The Apostle Paul, he's here. He's talking to the people in Corinth about love. He's not talking about romantic love. That's the way we quite often use the passage. It comes up in marriages all the time. He's not teaching about romantic love. But this is what love is really like. And oh yeah, romantic love should have this also. But really what the Apostle Paul is teaching is not about love. He's teaching what Jesus is like. Take the word love out and replace it with Jesus. And then see how it reads. We are called and charged to become like Jesus. To grow into the likeness of Christ. We're not going to do the whole thing, so don't worry. We're going to just start nice and easy, and then we're going to take the time to look at what a couple of these things might mean. So 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. What does it say? Hurry up! Read it! Yeah. Right? We, we, we do this all the time. Love never pressures the other person. Just stop and think of how many stories you have in your head in the relationship where there's pressure being applied. Love creates as much time and space and margin as the other person needs. And if you're in a relationship and you're being pushed, 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 why don't you? Why can't you? I just want you to. In that time, in those ways, that person is not loving you because love is patient. I've watched this a number of times. Love is patient does not suddenly appear as a personal virtue when you say, I do. It's developed and it's trained for over time. So love is patient, but love is kind. We don't like that word much. Honestly, it's kind of a weak word in our usage. We don't know what to do with kind. It kind of sounds sappy. So what if we change the word kind and make it love is considerate? Do you know what considerate means? It means you take into consideration what the other person feels. This is not something that you save for your special friend. You don't have to wait until you've been dating for a long time to start unleashing some of this kindness. Start getting good at it now. Work on it. Train yourself. Challenge yourself to implement this into every single relationship you're in right now, regardless of whether or not you're dating. Be kind. Be considerate. Think about this. If you're the myth believer, you're thinking, I don't need to learn to be kind because when I meet the right person, it won't require effort to be kind it will just happen and it will just continue to happen that's how i know that they are the right person if i get angry and impatient with this person then it indicates that they are not the right person and then when they get married you get into trouble because you realize neither one of you was ready for this because each of you was believing the same myth. It will just happen. It'll just be if it's the right person. This is a call to become something. And it goes on. 
Love does not envy. Now, if this room is like most rooms, someone's parents split up over this kind of story. Maybe it's your story and not your parents' story. You didn't think of it as being envy, but it is. Envy is when, when I don't feel too good about me, so I can't let you feel too good about you. I need to drag you down. I need to keep you at my level or lower than me. For some of you, you were raised, and this has impacted you deeply, and you're now trapped in this. We need to start asking and allowing God to root this out of us. This means that when you are together, or when you're without other people around, the person that you're talking to tells you a story, and you don't cut them off to tell a better story. You caught a four-pound bass? Wow, that's incredible. That must have made you feel great. What a memory. I bet you have a good picture of something like that. Instead of, you caught a four-pound bass. Great. My dad and my brother, they have a fishing show. You know, it changes the whole way the story is being told. You don't tell your story. You allow yourself to enjoy the other person's story. You're no longer called to one-up anyone. Be free from one-upping. So practice it now. Practice it all the time. No little cuts. No little digs. No little under-the-breath comments. Enjoy the other person in that moment. Is it hard to do? Of course it's hard to do. That's why we're saying work on it. But it will make a difference. The struggle happens in relationships all the time. It seems like someone's getting too much attention. Drag him down. He's funny. Drag him down. She's the life of the party. Well, let's just see how good you are when I embarrass and humiliate you and make you look dumb. Drag her down. And what you've done is you've actually been involved in a surgical intimacy removal procedure. And you have replaced intimacy with I can't trust you. I'm not safe with you. But neither of them ever knew that they had a problem with it. They fully believed that if they found the right person, everything was just going to be all right. Love does not boast. It's not proud. I don't know if that you were to, to on the surface, just take this and, and kind of just plop it on your current dating style, you'd be absolutely convinced that this is the most boring, lame, horrible date that you can ever conceive of. Let's just go and be nice. Let's go and be kind. We're going to have an awesome night of being gentle. It doesn't sound like it's going to be fun. But let me ask it to you this way. Do you think that your growing up family life, do you think that that would have been different if maybe, maybe your parents would have even stayed together if they had been more patient? with each other or patient with you? Would it have made a difference if your father was more considerate to your mother? What would it have looked like over years if there was not so much competition and one-upsmanship between your parents? For some of you, your dad was so proud. He could just never admit when he was wrong. Do you think that it might have been easier to experience life together if there was less pride? Your mom, your mom, she was so proud that when anybody walked into the room, she just had to tell them something 
just to bring them down a little bit, just to refocus because they were feeling a little too good. So proud that it just destroyed the foundation of intimacy, of security and safety in the home. And they passed those lessons on to you. And you learned how to be like that too. Do you think that some doses of this stuff might have actually helped? And I've got to believe that the answer is yes. If they looked more like Jesus, it would have helped. But why didn't they learn it? Why didn't they have it? You have the opportunity right now to do something about it. Not later, not when it will apply to you more, but right now, you can fix this in you. You can become the more Jesus-like person. You can be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You can become the person that you're looking for is looking for. You can be all that God has set aside for you to be. God, can you change me? Transform me into the person that you have called me to be. Jesus, can you make me more like you? I don't want to try and sound fake to people anymore. Always desperately afraid that they will find out that I'm really not what I say at all. Love does not dishonor others. That means when you date, you never, ever, ever create regret. You never become someone's regret story. I wish I had never. If that's not clear, here's some more terms to help you see it. Love does not behave disgracefully. Love does not behave dishonorably or indecently. And if these are the actual goals that you have when you go out, you look at those terms and you say, that sounds like a good date to me. That's the point, isn't it? Well then first, stay away from my boys. Stay away from the girls in this church. It's not a condemnation of who you are. But at this time, it might not seem that important. Hold on to this information. Come back when it seems like it might be more important. Come back to it at a later date. But remember that what serves you well today what serves you well while you are living the life is going to destroy what you value most later. And I'm not saying that in any way because I'm mad at you. I'm not saying that because I want you to feel guilty. I am here in this place at this job because I love you. I want you to get it right. And no more of this just right enough. Practice honoring people now so that you will know how to do it when you really, really want it to all be, already be up and in motion. Love is not self-seeking. Just stop for a moment here. Again, this stuff doesn't just happen naturally. Do you know what comes naturally in a relationship? Chemistry. Passion. Can't wait to get alone with you. Give me some of that. And that comes naturally, and that's good. It's human nature. It's awesome. It's a gift that we have been given. But here's the secret. Here's the secret that people seem to argue about a lot. You can feel that way about 
thousands of different people. It's chemistry. You've got the right chemicals for many configurations. Chemistry doesn't take any work. And that's the fairy tale. That's the myth. That's why we want it. And we want to expose that. What it leads to is actually something that will not work at all. It leads you to the view that our culture has grown up to. What's the difference? It's just a piece of paper. No one actually gets in love and stays in love forever anymore. Happy marriage? That's an oxymoron. Marriage had its time, but we as a culture, well, we've just outgrown that. Great relationships require effort. And you can do this if you decide. God, from this point on, I'm not just searching. I'm no longer just hunting for the right person. God, help me to become the right person. Make me ready to become somebody worth pursuing. Make me ready to be someone worth catching. Jump down a little bit, and we're going to get to uh, how the Apostle Paul ends this discussion. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 11. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, an adult, I put the ways of childhood behind me. With that in mind, how does every child's story end? When the prince finally gets rid of the stepmother and the stepsisters, when they finally get rid of the dragons and the monsters, when they finally get over all the overwhelming obstacles, how does the story end? And they all lived happily ever after. In children's stories, if you can just get these two people together, the rest takes care of itself. Some of you are dating and some of you are married like this, and some of you are approaching relationships like a child. Talking like a child. Reasoning like a child. And it's time for you. And again, I'm saying this because I care. Because I've heard too many stories. Because I've seen too many eyes. I've been around too much crying. I've watched so much heartbreak. It's time for you to put the ways of childhood behind you. This is not about magically finding the right person as if God has hidden that person from you like a super treasure hunt. That's Disney. That's fairy tales. It makes good movies, but it's not reality. So I'm going to put the ways of childhood behind me. From this point forward, I'm going to do everything in my power to earnestly pursue Jesus and to become the person the person I'm looking for is looking for. Are you willing to let God help you to become that person? That is your best chance for relational success. Father, thank you for your love for us and the depth that you go to to care for us, to love us, to work on our behalf. Thank you for guiding us forward. God, I pray that you would cause our faith in you to increase, that we would risk in the areas that really matter to us, like how I'm going to meet my future husband or wife. Those areas that seem so important. We're too scared to let you have them. God, I want to release those vulnerabilities to you. 
I will trust you to provide for me all that I need beyond all that I can ask or even imagine. Transform my heart and my mind, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards others that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God of our, our Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be blessed in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You may be seated. It's better when you're here. It's better when we're together. And I'm convinced again and again that the more we connect, the better it gets. The more we have the opportunity to grow into one with God and with each other. So send you out and I want to remind you again of what we talked about, about last week. To put this in your head, to keep it there. We are Christ-centered, Spirit-empowered, and mission-focused. We are on mission. Everyone. Everywhere. All the time. 